This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. Thanks for tuning in this afternoon to I Work For Him. However you're listening, just know we always pray before the show. We pray for the conversation to be guided by the Holy Spirit. We pray that the conversation would be inspiring to you. And today's conversation is going to be challenging to you as well. That's right, Jim. And if for any reason someone, after they hear today's show, they want to go back and listen to it or share it with a friend that maybe um, they think is going to be able to further the conversation, um, just sign up for our podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. Easy way to do it. Go to iworkforhim.com. Go to our podcast page. We've got links to all of those different platforms, and uh, you can subscribe to it there. Or... There is another thing that they could do. What could they do, Martha? Every Friday at noon Eastern time, we send out an email that has a blog from you and the links to the past five shows or the past week's shows, I should say. So that is an easy way if people, you know, just want it to be a reminder that they get softly in their box every Friday before they start their weekend. They can they can line it up for them to listen to while they're cleaning the garage or washing the car. But they or, can't listen to the blog while they're cleaning the garage or washing the car. But actually, they have to read the blog. Actually, oh, actually we have an app on our website. That'll if you read go it to, to the blog, it will read it for you. Because we had, a, we had a listener who asked for that because she was having trouble with her eyesight. And we found this very simple little app that will read the blog to them. But it won't read it with my sort of enthusiasm. But It, it will. doesn't have your voice. No, it doesn't. But okay. it is a pretty good voice. All right. One of the things we're doing here at the Christian Leadership Alliance Outcomes 2019 Conference is we're highlighting stories of people who are making an impact in the kingdom each and every day. Lots and lots of shows focused on what we're hearing and learning here in Dallas, Texas. We're so grateful to the Christian Leadership Alliance for bringing us here to capture these stories. Today will be no different. Today we're going to talk with Brian Taylor about his faith in the financial management world and as well as his faith regarding his home life and all how all of that integrates together. I didn't tell him that part, but you know, he's going to find out pretty quick. But he's connected to Cornerstone Management, and I'd love for you to hear Brian's heart. Brian Taylor, welcome to I Work For Him. Thanks so much, Jim. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, Martha and I love having our guests on the air, and we always do this with every first-time guest, Brian. How did you become a Jesus follower? Well, it's a long story, actually. My dad ended up as a pastor... Uh, of our church, but prior to that, he had been in Christian service, and he and my mom led me to Christ when I was very young, and then actually, uh, a few years after that, at a Christian camp called The Wilds in North Carolina, uh, I had a very significant experience with Jesus and realized that I wanted to make sure that my faith was my own, Mm. and so went forward and had an engagement with a counselor there, and asked Jesus to come and rule my life. And so it was a tremendous experience for me. And then walking forward a few years, uh, I actually uh, engaged in an overseas missions trip to the Philippines, and that really cemented my faith. Mm. Wow, what were you doing in the Philippines? Well, I was with Athletes in Action on a basketball missions trip. It was a pretty dramatic time for me because not only did we engage all across the Manila 2000 project area, which was all across the city of Manila, but I experienced that large earthquake that they had uh, back in the early 90s. It was a huge earthquake, very And you were there when it happened. I was there when it happened. And so it was a pretty dramatic thing. Um, Woke us all up and shook the buildings and a lot of things happened. Uh, But also we received some threats. And so that was a pretty amazing thing for a kid in my age. 
uh, to experience. So great time and really impactful uh, opportunity to serve the Lord. And, and when you were playing basketball, guard, point guard, what were you? Because <laughs> well, you're not 6'10". That's right, I'm like not 6'10". No, actually, it was, uh, that was probably a mistake. Uh, I was a guard. Um, <laughs> it was I a wish, mistake you weren't 6'10"? I, or? Well, it was, it was a mistake that, that uh, I was competing with guys that were 6'10". In fact, it was kind of an amazing thing for me because I had played uh, here in the States in high school, of course, but uh, I was a young guy on the trip, and I didn't really know who all would be there. And we had one on our team. We had this guy that had played French pro ball, and he was six ten. And so it was a, definitely a little bit of a challenge. Uh, but we had a great time, and it was that a good strengthened your to faith too. <laughs> it did, Str- <laughs> or your prayer life. <laughs> Maybe it helped my humility. Let's put it that way. And there's something I've never heard, and I work for him. French pro basketball. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. Well, well there you go. Okay, That's something right. we learn. You learn something new every day as you listen to I Work For Him. So, Brian Taylor, was there ever a point in time in your life where you realized, wow, my faith really, I don't have to be a pastor or a missionary in the Philippines in order to be in ministry. I don't have to be in a pulpit or on some foreign mission field in order to make an impact. Where, when did that paradigm shift happen in your life? Well, I think, the biggest paradigm shift for me was that I joined uh, a full-service brokerage firm when I got out of college, and it was a very uh, wolf-on-wall-street type background. And so everybody was going for the money, and everybody was trying to be in it for themselves. And uh, I realized that I really wanted to serve uh, clients and really wanted to help them grow uh, their wealth. And I joined a firm called Cornerstone Management in 97 specifically because they were primarily focused on evangelical nonprofit organizations. And I thought that was really cool. And it was a way I could take my giftedness uh, to serve the Lord and impact more money than I'd probably ever have on my own. And so I spent the last 20 years doing that. Wow. And if it was 1997, you spend the last 22 years doing that with Cornerstone Management. People can find out more about Cornerstone Management online, cornerstonemgt.net. All right. So Let's talk about the focus, the focus of Cornerstone Management. Yeah, so Cornerstone is a unique firm. We really exist for three reasons. One, we exist to help evangelical and other faith-based nonprofits manage the money that's been entrusted to them by donors. And the second point that we uh, exist for is that many of those donors make special types of gifts. These are called split interest gifts or other types of deferred gifts that basically allow the donor to give money today Uh, to the kingdom, but also to retain some form of income stream from that gift. And we help manage those gifts for these organizations. The third thing we do is we come alongside those organizations and help them work with their major donors in, in determining what type of gifting arrangement is best for that donor. That's a lot of stuff. And you said it really, really fast. I was trying to write it down. I didn't get it all written down. But really, the, the bottom line is you guys are experts in helping nonprofits find creative ways to continue funding the mission that God has placed them on. That's, that's correct. And really, what that comes down to is actually working with the donor on the donor's agenda to try to help get money into kingdom work. Have you ever had a conversation at a nonprofit where they're saying, we need continued funding, we've got to work on creative stuff, and you're going, I'm not sure you guys need to still be here. Have you ever had that conversation? <laughs> that, that's a very interesting question. So I would completely agree with you that a lot of organizations maybe exist past the time that the Lord has for them. And mm-hmm. we see um, not enough mergers in this space. However, we have had that conversation, and in fact, one organization we sat down with, the whole issue was that the stewardship that they had uh, 
uh, attempted had not worked out very well, and they had really struggled to manage money well, and so they were in a bind. And they realized it, and to their credit, they merged with a much healthier organization. So, yeah, we do sometimes get into those types of engagements. That's just something I th I'm seeing more and more organizations that have, the, I mean, their mission was 40 years ago. Life has changed. They haven't adjusted. And maybe it's time to do that merger. Maybe, and, but those are questions that often nonprofits don't ask because once it started, very few now, we had, we had an attorney on earlier uh, last month and he, and he said, I, I do one new or 10 new nonprofit applications to everyone dissolving a nonprofit. Uh, and yet, are, are there really that many needs for new stuff or are other people doing it but that merger thing? That's a great idea. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the hard thing is, right, if we're called by the Lord to do something, it's often hard for people to realize that perhaps that vision has changed or maybe the Lord is letting them know that they need to move in a different direction. But that can be hard to accept because it means you have to change tax, maybe move in a different direction. And so mergers are a great way to facilitate that. Okay, so I'm going to get just practical here for a minute because I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. So you have clients that you're, you're managing their investments and you're helping them to make their donation portion do, the, do that well and also if a nonprofit has money that they're not currently spending. Is that, I'm, I'm just trying to understand how that all fits in. Yeah, great question, Martha. So I think that what we're dealing with here is a little bit sometimes of a misconception mm -hmm. that most nonprofits have funds that are everyday funds, they have rainy day funds, they have long-term funds that maybe are for strategic project development, and all of those funds have to be managed. And so Cornerstone comes alongside to help manage those. Okay. Yeah, and really you're helping people with, you're helping nonprofits with investment consulting, planned gift administration, and gift and estate design consulting. That's some fancy words. We are in Dallas, Texas, Martha. That's right. We are at the Outcomes Conference here in Dallas, Texas, and it is hosted by the Christian Leadership Alliance. And um, Jim, if people are just intrigued or interested in finding out more about it, one of the things they can do is go to social media and um, look for hashtag Outcomes19, and they can just see a stream of posts that have been put out there that, you know, people in engaging and sharing things that they're learning, whatever it might be, they're going to be able to see that there, as well as um, some of the shows that we have been putting together and having the privilege of producing here on location. You know, one of the things, if you really wonder what, what does Christian Leadership Alliance do? They help you, they help your nonprofit in the business of running your business and doing it with excellence. That's one of those things. And that's why we're talking today with Brian Taylor. He's from Cornerstone Management. He is a certified financial analyst, but he's also a partner in the business. Brian Taylor, you guys love on nonprofits. So it makes sense that you're here because Christian Leadership Alliance is all about an alliance of nonprofits serving the kingdom and a whole realm of different ideas. How has the involvement in Christian Leadership Alliance impacted you personally? And then how has it impacted what you do every day at Cornerstone Management? Well, I would have to say that it's impacted me personally because over the years we've been involved with CLA since actually before it was Christian Leadership Alliance. And <clears throat> What, what I've learned is that every year I can come and get tremendous exposure to learning experiences from Christian leaders around the country, folks that are leading major organizations that have a lot to say about how to integrate the kingdom into your daily work. Very cool. So how has it impacted Cornerstone Management then? So, I mean, in, in, to you, it's spoken into you. You've been involved a really long time. 
How has it impacted how you do business at Cornerstone Management? Yeah, let me give you two really specific examples. I think they're great ones. So a few years ago, Patrick Lencioni spoke here, and he's one of my favorite Christian leadership uh, in the workplace guys. He does a lot of talking and a lot of writing on how to integrate uh, positive team development in the workplace. And because of that, Cornerstone has integrated a lot of his thoughts. In fact, one of uh, his books is called The Ideal Team Player. Mm -hmm. And we've really worked on cultural development in our firm. And in fact, I'm speaking on integrating values into culture later on this week. And that's been something that Christian Leadership Association has really helped Cornerstone develop is exposure to people like Pat Lencioni so that we can learn those things and integrate them into our company. So that's one example. Another example is a guy named Lee Ellis who wrote a book called Leading with Honor. Lee was a Vietnam vet. He was actually a prisoner of war with John McCain. Really amazing story. Wrote a fantastic book called Leading with Honor. And he and I have been involved in another ministry together and through his leadership and coaching, he's really impacted us at Cornerstone. Hmm. Fabulous. So I'm just curious, Brian, um, you are going to be teaching under, just to help people kind of wrap their head around, because I'm still working on it. When people come to an outcomes conference, there's different tracks that people can go along to kind of get some extended learning that focuses on a certain thing. And yours is in the financial management area, and you're going to be speaking... what I pulled up here, long-term investing in a volatile market. Yeah, actually, Martha, so there are tracks, and I'm actually speaking in that track and spoke in that track today. Okay. uh, But I'm actually speaking in the leadership track um, later on this week on integrating values and culture. Excellent. So, So multiple places where they can hear from somebody in your world but speaking into the different areas of their organization that they need the help. So I'm just, I'm kind of getting used to this flow of how it's working here and just want to help people to see that. And is any of the stuff you're doing helping them to get their, um, their credited, the CCNL? Great question. Um, My understanding is that each box has a different amount of credits associated with it. So I think that, yes, the answer is absolutely. I think every program that you participate in here at CLA during the week allows you to gain credits, if you will, towards that designation. Excellent. And we've been delving into that. CLA equals Christian Leadership Alliance, which you can find online, christianleadershipalliance.org, and CCNL is... The credited, oh, you're putting me on the wow, spot, Christian a, Nonprofit Leader. The credential Christian Nonprofit Leader. That's right. Okay. Which well, is a phenomenal this. program. And honestly, if you're running a nonprofit or you're connected to a nonprofit, you're giving to a nonprofit, they need to hear about yes. the Christian Leadership Alliance and they need to hear about the CCNL program, the credentialed Christian Nonprofit Leader. All right. So, Brian Taylor, here's, here's the open question. Would you do, how many nonprofits do you guys deal with at, at Cornerstone Management? About 65. 65 nonprofits. Is there one thing you see nonprofit organizations, let's just focus on Christian nonprofit organizations, that you see them struggling with, not unanimously, but pretty close? Yeah, I would say that the, the biggest thing that Christian nonprofit organizations struggle with is uh, effective philosophy development for their investment program. 
Most of them really don't have an idea of how to bring a committee together that has different views on things like spiritually responsible investing or index investing versus active management. How do we blend those different thought processes as a committee and come up with an effective policy to be able to implement? So you must be dealing with not startup nonprofits, but pretty established nonprofit organizations. Yeah, we actually deal all the way from very small, fast-growing nonprofits to very large organizations that you would know, like a Samaritan's Purse or Focus on the Family. So we have kind of everybody across the board. The only reason I say that is because most small nonprofits aren't worried about their investment portfolio. Portfolio. They're just grateful to have money to operate. Well, that's true. Uh, although, you know, it's amazing, uh, Jim, what you see with a lot of these small nonprofits that are growing today, especially the ones led by millennials, is that they're really excited about trying to do it right. And so what I find is that some of the fastest growing ones really do want to figure out, hey, what's our stewardship responsibility, even if it's with a small amount of money? Wow, That's good answer. Fabulous. That's absolutely fabulous. So, um, so with that in mind, because yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people when they start a nonprofit, they didn't even know they wanted to start a nonprofit, let yeah. alone what all that was going to entail. And that is again why Christian Leadership Alliance is so helpful because they can walk alongside you and get you the education that you need. But, um, but so someone gives a, a specific designated gift or something that is, you know, it's tied in, it can be very complex, you're going to help them utilize that and steward that very well. That's right. That's our role. Um, <clears throat> as I said, when we come alongside an organization, we're really coming alongside them to help them facilitate being a good steward. And we think that being a good steward is more than just getting a good investment return. Mm -hmm. It means that we really have to understand a couple of things. One, we have to understand that God really owns all of this, right? So if God really owns all of this, then we have a responsibility to him to act as a steward, a fiduciary. And so in the secular world, everybody talks about fiduciary. In the Christian world, we like to talk about stewardship because that's what we're trying to help organizations be is good stewards. And mm -hmm. that's not only getting a Good return. It's making sure that you're following the rules and also making sure that you have a plan in place. And then you need to think about things like spiritual value investing. Well, when you say spiritual value investing, are you talking biblically responsible investing or is it different? Great question. So it's interesting today, there's actually three big acronyms that everybody uses that are very confusing. One is ESG. That's environmental social governance. So in the secular world, that's a big talking point mm -hmm. today. Most investors are very concerned. And when they think about environmental social governance, they're thinking about things like Apple having bad work environment situations in China. That's the social element. Uh, the other one that we hear a lot about is SRI, socially responsible investing. And that's really just an offshoot of the ESG term. Then there's biblically responsible investing. And of course, being in CLA and also working with Christian and other faith-based nonprofits, we're very interested in what do we mean by biblically responsible investing. And so generally what people mean by that term is either avoiding stocks that are profiting from activities that we as believers wouldn't agree with, or trying to proactively invest in stocks that might be doing things that further the social good. So two examples that you often hear are folks avoiding um, perhaps 
pornography-related stocks. That's an avoidance category. It's easy. You think about Playboy. You can screen that out of your portfolio. On the other hand, being proactively engaged is looking for a company that's doing something good in the world Mm. and investing in that company. And so a classic example would be, you know, kind of a Hobby Lobby type concept. Okay, okay, but it's not always that simple because it, you know, it's not like you're, most people aren't going, hey, give me 500 shares of Playboy in my you know, nonprofit portfolio, but it's investing in great stocks like Google or Amazon or some other, uh, some other unnamed organization that their, um, their investment portfolios or they're promoting things that we wouldn't necessarily agree with, maybe an abortion uh, or, or some sort of activist organization or maybe a tobacco, I mean, tobacco or pornography. I mean, Amazon sells pornography. So, I mean, how, how do you, it, it's, it's, it's easy to screen in the first level. Okay, we're not going to buy Penthouse or Playboy stock, but that's not that simple anymore. The, the, the pornography is, is pervaded the entire, entirety of society. I, I really want to focus the conversation on the biblically responsible investing because it is, it is one of the things when you look at the impact of Christianity on America in the last 50 years, we've lost not just our footing, we've lost our foothold, we've lost any grasp of control because we've let things like biblically responsible investing go by the wayside because money talks and when money walks, people start paying attention. And so that's why this biblically responsible investing conversation is so powerful because Jesus followers across the country have invested 401ks, 503bs, am I saying it right? 401ks, 503bs, so if they're a nonprofit or governmental organization, they're, they're, uh, they're investing their IRAs, their Roth IRAs, their individual investment, they're investing in things in organizations, whether it's mutual funds, ETFs or individual stocks, they're investing in companies that are promoting things that are exactly the opposite of what Jesus would want us investing in. Isn't that true, Brian? Yeah, I think it is true, but I think it's also very important to realize that uh, this is an easy area for us to jump on the bandwagon and say, hey, there's only one way to do this. And really, that's not the case because it is a nuanced issue. And so it's a tough thing, right? Because if you think about, let's take Walmart. Um, Walmart employs a lot of people. They sell a lot of good things. A lot of us shop there. And so the challenge is, on the other hand, they may support some things or they may be forced to support some things that we don't agree with. And so it becomes a very nuanced issue when you start trying to screen out companies uh, that have a problematic approach or an area that you don't want to support. So one of the keys to biblically responsible investing is defining what you want to try to accomplish with your portfolio and then finding ways to implement to meet that objective. So is it really a scoring thing though? As, as Martha and I have studied along with one of our major show sponsors, Luke and Dave from Bel Air Wealth Management, as we look at, we've looked at this over the last several years, there, it's a scoring thing. I mean, you could take your portfolio and, and put it through a scoring mechanism to let, you, let it look at, hey, how biblically responsible are you or how biblically responsible are you not? I mean, how, how about that? But what do you see? Yeah, so that's, that's a great point. So a lot of people have a hard time understanding what you mean by a scoring thing. Good, but, then tell people. But what I think the issue is, is that if we think about things like uh, pornography or abortion, or uh, we'll take one of our Mennonite clients with defense. So if you're screening out defense, how do you think about that? And so when you, when you score something, you're looking at several categories, and you're giving a company a score based on how well they they articulate or defend or hit that particular target. And so if we think about a company that has a good score, like maybe they 
they help the social good, uh, they sell normal things, they have a good working environment, and then they have a small element of a defense contract, for example. So how big of a defense contract do they have to have before that becomes a problem? And so they could get a 95 uh, because that other 5% uh, is coming from the defense side. And so when you score your portfolio, the key is thinking about this uh, in a relative context and doing the best you can and being aware of what you have. It's not so much thinking you can fix the whole problem. Okay, but you're talking a score of a 95. So 95% of the portfolio is compliant. So you're looking at the average Christian nonprofit and their investment portfolios, their, fi their 403Bs, their, their 401Ks, whatever they are, their XYZ, PDQs, whatever they've got. <laughs> it, you know, and you put them through a filter, a biblically responsible filter that eliminates, let's say, chasing after pornography, uh, promoting pornography, pr promoting radical uh, sexual agendas, promoting abortion, promoting, I mean, promoting the you know, major issues that we are absolutely start, uh, ardently against. How many of them are scoring a portfolio of 95% biblically responsible investing? That's a great comment. Mm -hmm. we, what we find is, Jim, that a lot of them are not there. Um, and, and I think that there are two different reasons. One is some are just simply unaware. Correct. And, and it's so ignorance. From Cornerstone's standpoint, that's our job. Our job is to make people aware of what's available out there. We can't always help them determine the best direction to go. What we can do is say, hey, you need to think about this because your donors care and you have to have a solid answer to defend your position. Mm. Okay, so ignorance is one of those things. But once they know, I mean, you say, okay, that's not there. They're, they're not at 95%, but isn't it true, Brian Taylor? Now you're making me sound like a, you know, a defense attorney or, 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 or somebody, you know, a prosecuting attorney. Isn't it true, Brian Taylor, that if you were to grab every one of the nonprofit portfolios in this room, that very few would score over 50%, very few would score over 25% in biblically responsible investing because they don't know. Nobody's ever told them. They haven't even woken up to this idea. I mean, the kingdom resources, I mean, I, I have seen portfolio uh, analyses of local churches who have millions of dollars invested of retirement funds and them scoring like 99% non-biblically responsible investing because they didn't even know. Yeah, I think there's a massive uh, shortfall in knowledge. People are ignorant of this issue. On the other hand, I think it can it's very easy to cast this in a very negative light. Jesus told us to be in the world, but not of the world. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to invest, the challenge today is that a lot of these areas are gray. And so the key is trying to figure out for your organization or for you as an individual, if you're in a 403B plan, what are your options? And do you have options that allow you to best reflect your faith-based position? And so those options are available. There are great vendors out there. As you mentioned, there's exchange-traded funds, there's mutual funds. You can employ separately managed accounts and ask the manager to screen on your behalf. So there are great ways to implement this, but it is like anything else in our world. We are in the world, and so you're going to have exposure. The question is knowing what exposure you're willing to take. And so we think it's essential that the organizations that we serve have a position on this issue so that they can articulate it. So then are you able to give resources back to an organization for their board to say, 
here's some discussion points to help them to decide what's going to be good for their organization? Or how do they get that information? Yeah, absolutely, Martha. We will sit down with them and help them think through both, as we mentioned, you know, do we want to proactively screen? What does that look like? What if we're negatively screening? I'll use an example of a client that we served a long time ago, but back at the beginning of this discussion, mm -hmm. and it was really interesting. They said, hey, we've just acquired this group. They do all of these screens, and we think we should apply the screen to our portfolio. Now, they had kind of a passive portfolio, which means they were replicating an index, Martha. So it was basically big U.S. stocks, Coke, Merck, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, Apple wasn't really that big a deal, but they were in there. And so uh, we looked at this screen and basically 80% of the companies out the door. Whoa, that's a problem. They only had 50 companies to begin with. So mm -hmm. now they're down to like, you know, 10 companies. They're now they're not diversified. There's other problems. And so what we had to look at was, well, what are you, what are your criteria? And they literally had stuff like, well, these guys gave 50 bucks to the local uh, Planned Parenthood clinic five years ago, and that kicked them out. Well, you know, that's pretty minimal. And so on the other hand, if you've got an organization that's very actively getting maybe 80% of their revenue from a problematic area like um, abortion spending or pornography, then, hey, they ought to be screened out. So what we did in that case was we moderated the screen a little bit. So I think that the key there is, yes, we can help by helping people know what screening agencies are out there, mm -hmm. what screens are available, what products, if you, and I hate to use the word products, but let's just call them investment programs, what investment programs are available that you can use that are already screening in some of these areas. So absolutely. So one of the things I love about these conversations is just letting our listeners be aware that there's something new to have a conversation around. Mm -hmm. And to, for some, you know, if you are a nonprofit that is a pregnancy center, you certainly are going to be a whole lot more sensitive to where those investments are going to be if they're supporting um, abortion than um, somebody with a different agenda. Yes. Because that is a very, I mean, they're fighting for life. So, of course, they're going to look at that differently. But if they've never even had a conversation, oh, where's that money actually being invested? This is such a great starting point to even just have a conversation. So what do you say to our listeners that they're sitting there going, hmm, I've never had this conversation with anybody, and we have money invested somewhere because it's part of um, some giving plan that we have. What do you say to them? What should their first steps be? Well, I would say the first step for a listener is to ask where you have the, the, the entity that's controlling your money. So if it's a 403B plan and you're working for a nonprofit, you should ask them, hey, have you ever considered biblically responsible investing? And do we have any options that are available to us as investors in the 403B plan? If you're working for a nonprofit organization that's a faith-based nonprofit, you should ask, hey, do we take this into consideration when we invest our funds? And if you're out there in the, with, with the rest of us in the secular world, then it's not unusual today for you to be able to raise this in the context of ESG, environmental mm -hmm. social governance, because that's a hot button issue. So just like believers are investing to further their faith, the secular world has its own agenda. And so you should feel free to counter that. And so if they can consider ESG, you should be able to consider BRI. So in the employment situation, I know I can think in my past where I've worked for organizations where they're like, well, you have flexibility in where you want your investments to go. And usually you're talking about your risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. But we actually have flexibility to go to them and say, 
where, what kinds of entities? And I don't think a lot of people think about that. Um, so you're just saying start that conversation. Start ask ask initially, like at the HR department level, or or in the um, whoever the financial planner might yeah, be. You know, Brian, I'm just jumping here before we get to the end of the segment. It's been a phenomenal conversation. But I think the the my thoughts are if, if let's just say every Christian nonprofit in this country started to do this analysis, they set up their own standards, but they actually considered biblically responsible investing and their money started walking away from just the major players in some of those real sin industries, pornography and abortion and uh, sexual activists and things like that. That money walking away starts to talk to those companies and they start to go, Wow, that money's leaving. That's hurting our stock price. That's hurting our profitability because we're not shopping here anymore. That kind of money starts to talk to people. And that's really where this conversation goes is because we have the ability to influence with our dollars, don't we? Absolutely. Uh, and I think one thing to keep in mind as we're investors in these companies and we start looking at, hey, what's the impact? The much bigger impact is actually where you spend your money. So if you're spending mm -hmm. your money at Starbucks or you're buying an iPhone, but you won't invest in the company, you really need to think about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Brian Taylor from Cornerstone Management. Maybe you want to check him out online. Maybe you've got a nonprofit you'd like, you'd like to have this kind of serious conversation with an advisor. CornerstoneMGT.net. CornerstoneMGT.net. Now, you're out of Georgia, but you can, can you help nonprofits across the country? Yeah, we work with uh, nonprofits all over the country, everywhere from the south to the west to the north. Uh, we even have some clients overseas. So All right, so you can help them. Uh, okay. So I want to... I want to just touch a little bit on the economy because one of the things last year, 2018, huge tax, tax cuts, yeah. and it took the itemized deduction almost off the map for the majority of Americans where their, the, their incentive to donate to nonprofits has been minimized unless they were big givers because now the itemized deduction for a couple, or excuse me, the, the standard deduction for a couple is $24,000, and this year it's going to be even more. How do you help nonprofits deal with that uncertainty because that has impacted the, the incentive to give because people have been incented by a tax write-off. Yeah, Jim, that's an interesting thing because I think there's two key things. One, we need to understand that the folks in this room largely have been protected from that because most of the people that give to faith-based nonprofits are not just giving for the tax deduction. So I have right. to get that in before right. I start talking about the ways that you can deal with this issue from a tax standpoint because we are in a great country where you can get a tax break. And so just because the law changed and the standard deduction went up doesn't mean you have to forego that tax break. So one of the coolest things out there is the idea of bunching your charitable gifts and putting those into what we like to just call a charitable giving account. It's actually called a donor-advised mm -hmm. fund, but you might think about it as a charitable bank account. And so you can actually put several years worth of gifts in so that you can itemize in year one and then you can basically take the standard deduction years two and three and then do that again. And you can kind of prorate that giving over that three-year period by putting it in one of these charitable giving accounts. And we've talked about donor advice funds many times on this show. The Signature out of Kansas, you got National Christian Foundation and Waterstone, three of the big names in this country, but there's tons of public and, and private and, and Christ-centered ones, donor advice funds right. all over the country. But so there's big names right here in the room. I know the Signature is right here in the room with us. So talk to us then about the impact on the economy, because nonprofits, you know, the economy's been good. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of jobs. There's an excess of jobs right now. Uh, more jobs than people looking for jobs, as they say. If you can believe all the numbers that come out of Washington, which of course you cannot. Um, it, although we'd like to. Not that he has an opinion. I yeah. have an opinion and it's right, so it's okay. <laughs> Talk about the economy. Where do you see the economy going? Because I mean, in the real estate world, we live in Florida where the real estate is usually hot. We see it slowing down a little bit. Where are you seeing? 
Yeah, so I have to say that uh, I'm not overly optimistic. We've been in a 10-year economic expansion since June of 2009, and we really see that ending uh, in the next 6 to 12 months. I think it's going to be a challenging time. I don't think it's going to be a 2008 because we believe that this is going to be a corporately-led recession rather than a uh, consumer-led recession. What we mean by that, that sounds really fancy. What it means is that people in this country, the average consumer, 70% of the economy, that means you and me, Jim, we're 70% of the economy. Corporations are the other 30%. And corporations are the ones this time that are a little bit of trouble. And so we think they're going to experience a recessionary period starting at the end of 19, going into early 2020. And so that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. You have already seen real estate markets around the country slowing down. Uh, a number of other things that we look at are, are hitting either peak levels are already rolling over. So there is a challenge. In fact, I just kind of closed that out by saying that other places in the world are already experiencing this. Italy's already in a recession. Germany and France are on the edge. And so the challenge is that the global macro, the big environment that we're all dealing with around the world is slowing. And so we're going to be dealing with a slower economy, we think, in late 2019, early 2020. And a recession is nothing to be freaked out about because God's still in control, you know, he, and God created the economy. I mean, the economy, and this this is one of those correcting factors. And a recession is one of those things that actually works to everybody's advantage because you wouldn't want to have, have out of control inflation and things like that. Recessions are actually okay. They are okay. And in fact, if you if you study creation a little bit, you'll see that God puts cycles in a lot of things. Right? We have seasons. Mm -hmm. We have the way that things work. Uh, even if you look at wave action, um, everything is very cyclical, and economies are cyclical. And so you have to be able to wash out some of the excesses. And so that's what those cycles are about. And we're just hitting the peak of a cycle. We need to roll through that, deal with some of the debt issues and other issues that we have, uh, and then we can roll back into a growth phase. So it's not anything to be alarmed about, but it is something to be prepared for. You know, I love your, your straightforward, calm approach to that because a lot of people, you know, we start to panic and we start to worry. And um, somebody said recently to us, Jim, that, you know, don't borrow from tomorrow, you know, the anxiety or the stress that's there. We have enough to, for today. But surrounding ourselves with people like you that can speak truth into us, that are knowledgeable in areas that we're not knowledgeable in, I think that's one of the things that brings us back to just the conversation of the Christian Leadership Alliance, that we this is a place where people can find resources that can help them in the areas we're, we're, that we're not experts in. And nor are we called to be, but we are called to seek wise counsel. And that's what I see in you, Brian, and Cornerstone Management is just this opportunity to, to um, have access to be able to hire and bring in people alongside of us that can help us with that wise counsel to be good stewards of what God's given us. And speaking of that wise counsel, Brian Taylor from Cornerstone Management, found online at cornerstonemgt.net, fiduciary responsibility. Again, two, a five-syllable and a six-syllable word, which we normally eliminate on iWorkFrame because most of us don't understand those big words. But we're talking about not Christian nonprofits, nonprofits that are really here to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, to build up the kingdom that he intended to build. But we have this responsibility with the money that we've been given because it's usually money that's hard 
hard given money. It is not money that people easily let go of. And so we want to handle it well. So we have this fiduciary responsibility. That's a marketplace term within the church, which in the body of the Christ, we often talk about stewardship. Why don't you address some of those issues? Yeah, let's, let's talk about stewardship. I think it's a key component. In fact, it may be the most important element. And if we think about Jesus and even use just the parable of the stewards, many people are familiar with that. And so at these corporations and at these organizations, these big Christian um, groups that we deal with, whether it's a focus on the family or Samaritan's Purse or uh, even a small folks uh, group like Christian Aid Ministries, each of those organizations has a stewardship responsibility before God to handle the money that's been entrusted to them well. And if you remember from the parable of the stewards, God is not upset with the steward for what the return he got was. The key is that he effectively leveraged what he'd been given. So whether you're a tiny organization, we just helped one get going called um, Care for AIDS, really neat little organization in Atlanta. And they don't have a lot yet, but they're just as responsible as a massive organization like World Vision or something. And so the key there is taking what's been entrusted to you and making sure you get, as Martha said, wise counsel uh, to handle those assets well. And if you're an individual out there, uh, it's important for you also to realize that you have um, a uh, responsibility before God as a steward. He's entrusted you with those funds. And so if you don't know how to handle the funds, you need to find wise counsel so that you can uh, do well with those monies that have been entrusted to you. What do you see when you have those conversations with nonprofits around the country about their stewardship responsibility? What's the, do you get pushback or do you get concerns? I mean, how do they react to that? Because I, I would imagine the majority of them would go, we want to be good stewards. But, but what, what are they struggling with? Yeah, I think they do want to be good stewards. But the challenge that they have is kind of what Martha said earlier, right? We're composed of individuals, and it's easy to get afraid uh, and see the things out there that are facing us as an organization, maybe lack of funding, maybe uh, the scary elements of a changing economic cycle. And so the tendency is to have a knee-jerk reaction, not trust the Lord, uh, and not have a plan. And so what we try to help organizations see is that you've got to have a plan, because if you have a systematic plan, it, it helps you stay engaged during these difficult times. So that's number one, have a plan and try to work your plan. The second element, though, is understanding that you can't have a scarcity mentality. And that's one of the things that really bothers me about organizations today is mm -hmm. that you need to invest your funds and work with your funds understanding that God has plenty of capital out there. And so your job is to do a good job of making your organization worthy of that next gift. And so if you're stewarding your funds well, then I truly believe you're going to get that next gift. And when you say, go ahead, Martha. Well, I just wanted to say, and this kind of circles back to the conversation we had earlier about the donor advice fund and taking a bunching, you know, yeah. uh, deduction and those kinds of things is this whole concept though, is that God hasn't given it to us to hold on to it tightly. And one of the things that we have heard over and over again is that there is a lot of um, kingdom money sitting in bank accounts, not being and donor actually, advice funds. well, that's what I mean, bank accounts, you know, <laughs> of all forms, sitting, not being really used for the kingdom. And so in that whole being a good steward, it's also when, when, it, when it's the right time to release it and make those resources on the ground that people are doing that. And so I just want to say that because I think a lot of us think it's all about just that little bit of interest or investment or, you know, dividends that can come from 
things, but there is a time for that money to be used for the kingdom. And we need to remember that if God called you into the mission, he will provide for that mission. We need to, we can't operate out of fear. Brian Taylor, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us here on I Work Room today. For Thanks for bringing Cornerstone Management to the awareness of all of our listening audience so that their local nonprofit can benefit from your expertise. CornerstoneMGT.net. Thank you, Brian Taylor. Thank you, Jim. And really want you to check out the Christian Leadership Alliance who made this all possible, christianleadershipalliance.org. Check them out online. They will help you become an excellent nonprofit. You've been listening to I Work For Him and your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I I work work for him. him.